This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get on to the episode. Welcome to the Shut Up and Teach podcast. I'm your host, Elijah Carbajal, a Title I reading interventionist from Albuquerque, New Mexico, and the author of A Place They Love. Today, my guest on the show is Hal Bowman. After spending over two decades in the classroom, Hal has been crisscrossing the United States, helping tens of thousands of teachers and school leaders understand how to shift classroom and campus culture. His work around school culture and its importance in creating the most effective environment for student success and teacher retention is unmatched. His programs include Teach Like a Rockstar, Be the One, change a kid's life, and culture shock. These research-based events for educators, administrators, and students have remained highly sought after by schools and districts across the country for over 15 years. Hal is also the founder of Men in Education, a private Facebook group that empowers men in education with support, personal growth, professional development, and community. Additionally, his books, Dear Teacher, 100 Days of Inspirational Quotes and Anecdotes, and Thank You, Teacher, are number one bestsellers and are available everywhere that books are sold. On this episode, Hal talked about his professional development opportunities, the Facebook group, and more about the work he has done and is doing. Hal has a deep passion to inspire and encourage men in education, as well as reach young boys who need a male mentor in their life. It's all discussed on this episode. I hope you're ready. Now let's get to it. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Shut Up and Teach podcast. Help welcome my guest today. I've got Hal Bowman on the show. Hal, welcome, my friend, to the Shut Up and Teach podcast. Hey, let me tell you something, brother. First of all, um, here's what I love. I saw this research that it said that um, only 10% of podcasts make it to episode number three. And then of the remaining ones, only 10% make it to episode number 20. So that's 1%, man. So if you think about all the millions of podcasts that are flooding the earth right now, just the fact that here you are, like this is leading into like a season four, dude, already like top 1% of all podcasts ever. That's crazy. Yeah, it's exciting. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that little bit of uh, those like stats, because as podcasters, it's encouraging to kind of hear that like, oh, like I'm actually doing better than I think I am. Right. That's the weird thing about this, because you have no idea. You're just putting it out there and you can kind of see listens, but you don't know who they are. You know what I mean? Or you can kind of see what countries they are and and just get downloads in here. But you really have no idea. And um, yeah, dude, like, in fact, I remember um, I had a, a lady come up to me at a show and she says, hey, I need to know, how's Veronica doing? And I'm like, what? Veronica, she was on your podcast. Oh, right. Yeah. Like, you, oh, you, you, you're the one. You listen. <laughs> you it's, listen. So it's funny, my title, so my I'm title one reading interventionist and my title one director that's kind of supervises that department. I was talking, we were at a meeting, we were talking and she leans over, she was passing by to go to table to table. She leans over, she goes, I heard your podcasting voice just now. <laughs> I was like, wow, I didn't know you listened. That's awesome. <laughs> right. So yeah, yeah. yeah, it's really cool. 
Uh, Hal, how are you doing, my friend? How are th- how's life treating you? Dude, let me tell you something. I have, um, it's, a, it's an interesting time for, you know, I'm all about professional development and I focus a lot on teacher retention yeah. and campus and classroom culture and boys that are struggling in school that no one seems to talk about. And, uh, you know, I had never been more busy in my career than I am right now. And, um, you know, it's like an education, dude, like, <laughs> you know, listen, like for years, I think part of our culture in terms of educational leadership is like, everything's fine. We're all fine. Everyone's happy. We're doing great. You know, cause we have to put on this perception. Meanwhile, everything is on fire. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, <laughs> and so it's like this, I have to walk this little, this tightrope you know, of trying to be gentle, but at the same time, hey, man, everything is on fire. We need to talk about this. So, the, you know, I'll tell you, man, if um, on one hand, it's crazy and chaotic and busy. And then the other hand, it's exciting because, dude, like if you signed up to make a difference in lives of kids and people like this is the Super Bowl, like this is it. Mm-hmm. And you're definitely, definitely doing a uh, heck of a job with that. You're all over social media. And I definitely want to talk later on about uh, men in education, that group, but, um, yeah. let's, uh, let's start by maybe giving us a snapshot of your kind of educational journey, kind of how it started, how it's going sort of thing. Yeah, man, this, um, my educational journey, like when, like when I was in school, that whole thing. So yeah, however you yeah, dude, I'll take you yeah. way back, man, I was into it and I loved it. And the only thing I ever wanted to do was to be a teacher. My mom was a teacher for almost five decades. And, um, that was my world. Like to this day, I can tell you everything about my teachers, their names. I can be in the grocery store and smell a certain perfume and think, Oh, that's Ms. Ziff. She would wear that, you know? And like, and then I moved from New Jersey to Texas in junior high. And that's when things went downhill fast just because of the culture shock and just you know New Jersey is very different than Texas and I just wasn't used to this whole thing and you know and then you know I I ended up uh you know I'm telling you I don't even think I ever got a wrong answer like starting in about the K through about seventh grade and um and if I did get a wrong answer I'd correct it and put a 100 on it and put it on my bulletin board I had in my bedroom like that's how deep I was into this thing dude and then, you know, the shit kind of hit the fan in high school and it was just, I just wasn't into it. And I was just terrible. And I was just barely skating by with the summer school every year because they had, you know, they had 70s on sale in the summer school. You just had to show up and if your mama write the check, they'd pass you. And, um, and, and, I gra- and I was a valedictorian of the fourth quarter in my class. I was number one in the fourth quarter. <laughs> <laughs> and um and but you know for some reason I I don't know I went to college like I figured out a way to get in and um and that's when things kind of turned around because I just had this I still wanted to be a teacher like that was the only thing I ever thought about and I became a teacher I was a band director I did the whole crazy Texas competitive band thing and then um I at a point I started realizing like these aren't real kids man like all these kids take private lessons and they can afford the alto sax I want to teach them real kids so I went back to and got certified in other areas and biology and English and all kinds of stuff and and then just started jo- like job hopping every couple of years just trying to you know steepen this learning curve of making a difference in lives to kids and teaching and put myself in different situations and um and I end up working with a group of really really challenging kids 
And um, they'll always like, if kids are at the high school and they went to the alternative learning center because they got caught with drugs or they're fighting, whatever, they have to earn their points to come mm-hmm. back. When they come back, they gave them to me. So it was called like a halfway house. And, um, you know, we, <laughs> we called them Bowman's Dirty 30 because I always had 30 kids. I still like to fit in the class with 30 of them. And then my job was to shut down the recidivism, right? Going back to the ALC and get them in, you just integrated into school and get them connected with somebody and something in an organization. And we're really successful. And I had an administrator who watched what I was doing and she loved it. And she became a principal at another school. And she said, will you come over and teach my teachers what you do and how you do it with these, you know, these knuckleheads, these gangsters you have. And I was like, yeah, man. And went over there. And then another principal called, another principal called, and it just, and then that just, I don't know, man, the thing just kind of took off. And I came up with this Teach Dick a Rockstar concept and started this professional development stuff. And this is probably 15 years ago at this point. And been on the road across the nation ever since, man, just working with schools and districts, trying to help, you know, know, when it comes to professional development, like, like, we're really talking about a small percentage of kids, like most kids, like they're, they're fine, they're going to be okay. What we're talking about, how do we teach this, this 15, 20%? And that's just, I don't know. I just, that was, I think the reason I figured it out because I was that kid, like I hated school. Uh And a lot of our teachers show up in the first day in the class. They became teachers because school was fun and was awesome. And they were great. And they had a trapper keeper that matched their lunch kit. Their mom made them lunch every day. You know what I mean? And they sat first chair in the band. They're on student council and they loved it. And then they show up and they got one kid like that. And the other 32 in the classroom don't want to be there mm-hmm. well i understand the other 32 not the one <laughs> the one's going to be fine <laughs> so let me focus on the other 32 and that's where we are dude and here we are today and i'm still out there doing this thing that's awesome uh could you explain to our listeners really quick about that uh teach like a rock star uh just kind of what yeah. that entails like that's pretty interesting yeah man it is and so i the whole back in the day when i first kicked this thing off i had this giant hair you know like i was convinced the 80s were coming back and i was ready baby and um well they, so, they you know, kind of did i don't know yeah, if the hair right, came back but they kind right. of did for a while yeah right they did and um so i had this crazy you know bon jovi hairdo and um and when i started this thing i had this what was it called i called it legendary teaching what it was it was built on this concept of how do we leave a legacy in this kid's life how do we use the content of our classroom as the vehicle to change a kid's life mm-hmm. right like i was already figured it because i work with challenging kids man i was already down with this idea of listen these kids they're not going to remember any of this and by the way they all have phones they have access to the content so like so if they need something they can look it up faster than i can remember it or teach it and so like what do i want for my kids as a result of them spending their lives with me like what's the real lesson that I want to be embedded in, in the double helix of this kid's DNA forever. And, and dude, so like, I just, this, and so I called it legendary teaching and no one was interested, nobody. And it was weird because I had this crazy hairdo and I'm wearing a suit in the picture and the whole thing was just not congruent. And then a friend of mine, he, he came to visit and all these kids are hanging out in my double wide, you know, we're overcrowded. So I got the double wide behind the school and, um, and at lunch, there's probably 40 kids in there hanging out and just, you know, did, we're just doing it, just kicking it. And, um, he's like, dude, you're the rock star of teaching. I was like, oh my God, that's it. Uh-huh. And so I came up with this idea of like every teacher wants to 
I believe that every teacher still wants to be the one. They want to, they want to be the one the kid thinks about when he's 45 years old in a moment, parenting their own kid. Every teacher wants to think, wants that kid to think back to me and like, what would I do? And, and, and what would I say? We all want to have that impact. And so that's what it's all about, how to teach our classes in such a way that you become the one the kid thinks about remembers forever. Yeah, that's that's incredible. And it sounds like you've been having such an impact just, you know, from what you're saying. But you also prove something that I've been saying now for a while is that kids come to school for multiple reasons and learning is just one of those reasons. I don't, I don't right? even know if that one's on the list, honestly. Sometimes it's not, sometimes it's not. If we're being if we're being fully honest with ourselves, you know, sometimes yeah. it, it may not be on that list, you know. So I, you know, you seek it seems like to reach the whole child. Like that's, the whole what, child. that's what it's all about, man. Yeah. Listen, man, I, this kid is not going to go off in his life and think, oh, gold, AU, that's on the periodic table. I remember that. Like they, they, they don't have those thoughts. You know what I want to do? Yes, I want high performing kids for sure. I want exceptional high performing kids, but of exceptional character. Yes. And what I know when that kid leaves my room, I when when I met that kid, I knew what his needs were within 30 seconds. I want this kid to be courageous. That's what this kid needs. I want this kid to be persistent. I, I need this kid to be able to find a purpose in his life and get off his freaking phone. Like I know what I want for the kid. Now what I have to do is use the content of my classroom as the tool mm-hmm. that is going to teach him that ultimate lesson. Yes. Yeah. That's incredible. That's absolutely incredible. Now you're making a you you make all these big impacts um, by reaching adults, right? You through PD, you're reaching teachers who then impact students, right? You carry on this message yeah. of like teaching like a rock star. But you've also got this Facebook group going on right now, Men in Education, and that I'm yeah. a part of. I know there's a lot of uh, a lot of folks from like Teach Better and just different you know organizations, men that are a part of this group. Uh, talk to us about what was the motivation behind that and what's the mission of that group? Dude, so, um, man, there's so much to that. There's a lot to that. So what I have found is, you know, when I was a teacher, I can't tell you how many daddy-daughter dances I went to with girls that weren't my biological daughter. At the middle school level, to when I was teaching middle school, at the you know, I taught elementary for a while, especially at the high school when they're having their, you know, senior dance team drill team ball. Um, I was there every year for the kid, you know, with because their dad they don't have a dad to take them. And then I started looking around my kids, just doing like little polls, and I came up with this idea, and it and it proved to be true that you know because of the divorce rate, we're at fifty percent, so fifty percent don't have a dad. And the, the don't, and, and the ones that still have that, that the physical presence of a dad, it seemed to be somewhere around half, forty to fifty percent was a positive experience where they're engaged or participating in the kids' life. So now we're down to twenty five percent of kids. And then I started looking around and just the the rates of marriage and then kids and then um, kids going to college and and it just seems to me that there's just for the vast majority of kids they don't have a strong compassionate empathetic vulnerable male role model in their lives and listen you know the i know people are very concerned 
concerned about the direction of our nation. But one thing is true. We have the leaders of tomorrow. We have the future every day in one room. Like we have them together. So this is where the impact comes in. And then I started looking at teachers leaving the business. And as you know, man, it's like the floodgates are open and lots of teachers are failing. But the number of men leaving, way higher than women. And then the number of men coming into the business, way less than women. And I think a kid needs strong adult influences. And one type of influence is a, is a strong male role model that I think think uh, both boys and girls need where you know I can um there's just so many examples of just amazing role models I've seen men out there in the classrooms and and as administrators just doing this incredible work and I just think they need more of them now the challenge is the men in the business they oftentimes don't have someone they can talk to about these issues that can identify on that same level here's an example I can't tell you how many team meetings I've walked into late because I'm always seem to be late where I'm on a team with six women and they're talking and, and I can hear them. I'm coming down the hall and they're talking and, you know, laughing and, and I open up the door and all of a sudden they step up because they're talking, because you don't share personal stuff. It's just, you don't do that in the workplace. You can share personal stuff with each other as women, but they don't share that with men. And, you know, they'd start, you know, they, and they'll finish when I leave, you know, but we, you know, I can't tell you how many principals I've talked to at elementary schools. It happened to be a man. And the only other guy on campus is the custodian. Like, that's it. And then I and then I really had and then I had this idea to start this men and egg group for about a year. And the reason I didn't do it was because I was I, I spoke to a lot of superintendents and teachers and principals about it. And it seemed like every guy I talked to said, oh, my God, that'd be great. But every woman I talked to, well, I don't see why you have to have your own group. How come you can't let women in the group? And I thought that was really interesting. And then a superintendent called me back one day. And she's amazing. She just retired. And she said, hey, I've been thinking about your group. I told you not to do that. I changed my mind. Do you know why I changed my mind? I said, why is that? She goes, I'm in a women's superintendent group that we don't let any men in. <laughs> and I'm telling you not to have a men's group for teachers. <laughs> and so the whole goal is, is you know, is a few things, that, the pillars of the, or the group. And is uh, one, I really hope that we can at some point start bringing more men into this incredible profession. That's, you know, and then also just, you know, just a place for, you know, guys to talk about teaching and, and what's, I think what's common in that group is everybody really um, relishes the opportunity to serve as a dad to kids, mm -hmm. whether that's from the front of the classroom or in the hallway as an assistant principal or from the front office as a principal or superintendent. I think that's what everyone has in common. Yeah. I'm sure you've heard that phrase, you know countless times you know my child you know I want my child in your class because they need a positive male role model you know I I hear that all the time you know especially when I was yep. a classroom teacher so um it's good to have I believe these sort of supports and these sorts of groups where men can lean on other men who understand like you know those you know education from a male perspective so I'm glad that you are that you took yeah. this proactive measure to create this and create this space for everybody. I appreciate that. That's, that's really awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, what, how has this group impacted you? How has this group impacted you specifically as like the creator of it? Yeah, man. It's um, I, I tell you one, one thing we, um, one of the things, I mean, it's impacted me a lot and just, just the relationships. I mean, these dudes, 
I mean, just incredible. I mean, think about from the time we started that thing, just how many podcasts now have been, how many books have been published from dudes in that group. I mean, it's wild just to see the, just the talent and the passion and um, just the cool stuff these dudes are doing. But in addition to that, it really has affirmed and solidified my resolve um, to, to, to focus on how much boys are struggling. Because that's one of the main topics that we've talked about. And some of the guys are just like, man, because once I brought it to their attention, like when you look at just the um, just the basic statistics of boys in school where, you know, like right now, I know for a fact that four, you know, four and a, boys are four and a half times more likely to be expelled from school you know, with the same infraction than than a young lady. And, you know, like 75 percent of kids diagnosed with learning disabilities are boys. 80% of kids taking Ritalin are boys. But boys are, there's five times more, many boys, five times, boys are five times more likely to be diagnosed with dyslexia than girls. And like that alone, dude, so what we're talking about is 20% of boys are dyslexic, according to the research. Well, wait a minute, if it's one out of five, is that really a disability or is their brain just different? You know, like you have a better, you have more odds of being dyslexic than left-handed or born with blonde hair. Like, I mean, it's crazy. Like, how is this a disability if 20%? That just seems like a different brain that we're not teaching according to that kid's brain is what I think. You know, and so, I mean, just look at the numbers where we have in the um, 70% of the top 10% of the class are girls. 70% of the bottom 10% are boys. And then, like, if you extrapolate that to after school, well, right now, dude, 30% of, bo- of young men age 25 and under are still fully 100% dependent on someone, the parent or their younger sister who has a job. And, you know, um, and just going to college or even where, and I'm not a big fan of college, but if we're just looking at that, I mean, we're, we're just about a two to one. We're at 60 something percent. It's almost 66% girls. That's two to one, 33% boys. And, and listen, if, if the numbers were going up in trade school, I wouldn't really count, but, but they're not like, they're going up a little bit, but not to make up for that. It's just a whole bunch of kids that young men without a role model who are addicted to their cell phone and not being productive. And like, just being in this group has really brought my attention to what can we do for these kids. So what can we do? What are some things, where do we start? Um, you know, if we're really looking to impact boys specifically, not that we're excluding anybody, but in this topic, you know, we're, we're discussing boys right. at this point. Yeah. So what do we yeah do let me be clear about this before we go further. Let me just say this in 1972, this is when title nine came in. And the reason it came in, because we're girls behind boys, there were 13 points behind boys. And just specifically, I'm talking about going to college. And so I'm not sure there's been a, ever a, a social initiative that was so powerful and positive and impactful than what we did for girls with Title IX. It was incredible. In just a few years, it was 50-50. I think it was by 1978, it was 50-50. How they're performing in school. Like, if you look in yearbooks, like, if you go to an old school and go back into the 60s and look at their yearbooks, it's wild. You look at student council, 100% boys. Look at journalism, 100% boys. Everything is all boys. Get to about 78. It's 50-50. But we still have those programs in place for girls. It still hasn't gone away. And now they are crushing it. They're, so I'm not, let's keep doing that. 
But if you look at right now, if you look at STEM camps, I want to, I can't remember what the percentages are. I, dude, like just even any kind of an academic initiative camp, there's no such thing as a boys' STEM camp. There's no boys' robotic camp, but there's hundreds of them across the nation. Hundreds. If you look at um, gender specific scholarships, 94% of those are for girls. Meanwhile, they outrank boys two to one going to college. So I want to keep all that stuff in place because it works. It's awesome. But what we haven't focused on is what can we do for boys? Because first of all, their brain is completely different. They learn differently. They act differently. The, the frontal lobe is way behind girls. There's a part of the brain that governs impulse control. You know, we all know the frontal lobe is, is a couple years behind girls for boys. But inside of that, the one part that governs impulse control, dude, I'm telling you, like this research just came out a few months ago, for a boy's brain to look like that of a girl when she's 10 years old, he's going to be 25. Like, like that alone tells you, like we need, there has to be a different approach to how we handle our boys in the classroom. Like you can't, like if you do the brain scan, does not lie. Like the boy's brain is a different and he learns differently. And where a lot of boys, not all, but there's a higher percentage are kinesthetic learners. They got to be up and actually doing the thing rather than just sitting and hearing about it or talking about it. You know, and so I just, and then it's really hard. Um, uh, I, and what women tell me, women teachers, is they are more easily prone to getting frustrated faster with boys is what they tell me. Because they don't get it. Like, why would he sit down and shut up? I'm like, oh, I get it. (laughs) Like I was telling my son, you know, he's he's about to turn 18. I'm like telling the other day, dude, you can't say that. Like, he's really funny, but he's trying to learn the line where funny stops and offensive starts, you know. I'm like, listen, I thought that before you said it. The difference between me and you is I didn't say it. (laughs) (laughs) That's what being an adult means. He just don't say it. You can't stop the thought. So is there any final thoughts you want to leave our listeners with before we wrap up? I've got one more question for you, but I want to, I want to just pass the mic to you. Is there anything you want to leave, maybe a call to action or anything like that? Yeah, here's my, here's what I'm focused on. I think I have the answer and I've been working hard on this brother. And um, let me just talk a little bit about teacher retention and staying committed to this profession because we're just, here's the problem is years ago we have lost so many teachers for one reason because this is freaking hard man this is the hard this is hard work and it ain't for everybody and like i said a lot of people that were great in school came into the profession and they realized oh my gosh i I was abnormal i wasn't i was a normal kid these are normal kids and i don't like teaching them and they then they yell and they gave me the finger and talk about my mom and this is day two and so like and so they leave which is fine this isn't for everybody that that's okay you know and for years, we've lost 50% of teachers in their first five years. That was, that was the, and that's okay. And then we're gone. The challenge now is we're still losing those people. Less people are coming into the pipeline. But the worst news of all, and on the other end of the spectrum, those amazing teachers, they feel like they're not making an impact. And that's why they're here. So when they don't have their why, they don't feel like they're making an impact. They don't feel like they matter in the lives of the kids they're leaving we have a a fancy um it's it's a corner store here in texas it's a it's like a convenience store but it's it's like sent from heaven it's called bucky's 
And in Bucky's, if you don't live in one of the states with a Bucky's, I can't, they like there's a Bucky's near me. It has 150 gas pumps. Like you're going to go in there. You think you're getting gas, but you're going to go in there and you're going to spend $40 on beef jerky and you might who don't buy a deer feeder and some gauze and ball bearings and and it's a it's a convenience store it's just crazy but we've had so i talked to superintendent and i said what's been the biggest challenge of keeping teachers in your district and it's in a tiny town outside of you know maybe a couple hours north of houston and he says um man the biggest problem is when bucky's put the sign on the front of the door about how much they pay i've had three teachers leave to go work at the convenience store because they think if i'm not making an impact I might as well go do it at the convenience store because it's a lot easier than this. Wow. That's where we're at. So we're losing those people where this is just too hard and we're losing those people on, and we're, we're left with very few people in that step middle of the bell curve, that center right there. And so what has occurred to me is I think we, like we teachers have to take back somehow figure out how to, to, to own the autonomy and have the agency to make this experience what they want, where they can be in charge of it. Because right now teachers are traumatized. And dude, let me, and like, we, we listen, we use the word burnout. Oh my God, they're so burnt out, I'm so tired. No, dude, it's way beyond that. We're not even using our vocabulary impeccably. It's not burned out. Dude, I, I started on Tuesday morning, January 3rd in 1990, eight o'clock. That was my first day. I was burned out by B lunch that same day. Like I, like I was done. But you know what? You go home and you recover. You come back the next day, and you're and you're dead on Friday. And you come back. You recover on the weekend. You come back. You get after it again. You do that for you. Do that for a career. But teachers aren't recovering, so it's not burned out, dude. They're broken hearted. They're ex- it's beyond exhausting. They're they they're broken. Their heart is broken. It's almost like they're mourning the loss of the job they used to have, but they still go to the job. It's just a different thing now. And so if we start identifying what and, and talking about what, the, what it really is, then we can start making an impact. And I truly believe, listen, man, there's way more teachers than principals, but principals feel the same thing. They, they're, they're at the same place, but they have no one to talk to about it because they can't talk to their teachers like, oh my God, I hate this. This is miserable. You know, so it's really hard for them to support their teachers. So I think for, for what I've been working on is coming up with a replicate, a program that we can replicate and like enfranchise this thing from school campus to campus where we teach teachers how to come together, create not just their classroom culture, but their campus culture, one that they love and just bring this, the fun. dude, this used to be so fun. Like bring the fun back to this thing and yeah. love it again. Yeah. You know, I can't, t- you know, one thing it's crazy, I feel like I'm just went on a rant here, but one thing is just crazy is um brother, like I can remember like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, being at school and just standing in the parking lot, sitting on the tailgate of a truck. And it was dark out, and there's 12 teachers sitting in a circle just talking about school and kids and what we're doing and this and that. Dude, nowadays, 345, that parking lot is empty. Because they're so, it's not that they're burned out. They're, it's painful. It's painful for a teacher to be there, to feel like they're not making an impact. And so the takeaway for right now, one thing as we go into the new school year, is I've been working with this on principals and superintendents, but I think teachers need to do this too, is to provide each other with the graphic, obscene evidence 
that your work matters, that you're making a difference in the lives of kids, because that's what they really want. But what we what happens is we get so callous to it. Be, be, it's like, like because we're you know what I always say is you can't read the label from inside the bottle. Like when you're in the classroom, it's really hard to see what's really going on because you're in the emotion of it all. You're in the thick of it all. But isn't it true that you can walk down the hallway and look in another teacher's classroom, like through the skinny window with chicken wire on the door, like look uh-huh. through that window and you can see like these magical moments, but the teachers are almost oblivious. They're numb to it because they're in it and they see it every day. And so I think if we can help teachers support each other and come together and like help each other see the difference that they're making in the lives of kids and provide the, the real evidence, because that's what, that's what fuels a teacher. Like, dude, like if a kid comes up, like even if you see a kid at the Dollar Tree or the Walmart, like, ah, I remember I had you two years ago. Oh my God, it was so awesome. Thank you so Like you go through this moment, like, dude, you're good for three months. Like that's, you're fueled for three months, baby. Well, that can happen every day, not just with kids that had us in the past, but kids that have us right now. Kids right now, their lives are being changed in real time. If we can bring that, back to teaching and back to the experience of being a teacher, I'm telling you, not only would it fix those teachers we have now, but teachers would be lined up to get into this amazing business. Listen, like I'm all about it. Like I'm not doing it if it's not going to be fun. And I think what we sometimes forget and people get mad at me when I say this, because I think, I think they get mad at me because they get mad at themselves because they have to own it. Like, like, I know, I don't care who your principal, I don't, for me, listen, dude, I don't care who the principal is, I don't care who the kids are, I don't care the community, I guarantee my classroom is going to be amazing. I guarantee it. Because I'm going to make it amazing. Because yeah. I own every, every percent, every percentage point of that experience, I own it. Let me just say one more thing, dude, I know you're trying to hang up for me, but listen, like when I work with teachers, and they don't like this part, but they'll say, you know, I'm really struggling because of this. Okay, well, well, these, well, well, tell me. So you said you have, you hate your principal, right? Yeah. Well, what percent of the problem is he? Or she, I don't know, like 20%. Okay, 20% of the problem. So we got 80% left. Well, you talk to me about your parents don't seem to care, right? That's right. I, they're never, they don't come to open house. What percent of the problem? Well, they're a big problem. Well, how, what percent? I don't know, 25. Okay, so we got 45% that you can't control. We got 55% you can. What else? Well, we didn't get the grant for technology and not one of my laptops worked. Okay, that's an issue. What percentage of that? I don't know, probably 15. Okay, so we got 60% you can't control, 40% you can't. Let's keep going. Or what about 70%? And we keep going and we keep going. And finally, we get to the point where they got like 2% left that they can control. Well, why would you even try if you can only control 2%? What if, what if you owned 100% of it? And if my classroom sucks, you know why? It's because I suck. My classroom is amazing. You know why? It's because I'm amazing. Yeah. Well, I guarantee I'm going to be amazing. Again, I don't quit. I don't give up, man. And I'm fired up for this thing. And I want to be the one that changes kids' life. And yeah, so that's why I'm at the door. And we're high five And I'm hugging kids. And there's music playing. And they yeah. come in. And they get in their circle. They don't sit down. We get in our circles. We start in a circle. And we, and we spend three minutes talking about what we love about our lives and who we appreciate. And everybody takes a turn. And we give it a high five. And we sit down. We're ready to rock. We're ready to learn. Like, make it a place, dude, that's exciting. Like, yeah. when, like, like I, I've been in, sitting in ARDS and people complaining about a kid. Well, he's late to my class every day. Did they get to me? I, I would be ashamed of myself if he was late for my class every day. I want that kid running for my class every day. Yeah. And they say, well, he, he, he's never prepared. He's not prepared for you. I guarantee he's prepared for me. <laughs> you know? Yeah. He's lazy. No, he ain't. He's, he might be for you. 
Hey, ain't lazy for me, baby. Well, you know, well, you know, it's funny. I always say that like kids will match, like kids are engaged all the time. Kids are engaged all the time with something, yeah. with something, but it's how, like, have you invited them to engage on a higher level? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I can pass out a worksheet. They'll be engaged. But is it yeah. that higher level of engagement that we're seeking? So I love yeah. I love your confidence in that matter, man. Dude, and it's also, it's getting away this, uh, this, this is the weirdest thing about education. We got this us versus them thing. So when you're a kid, it's us kids and those teachers. When you're teachers, us teachers, those kids and those principals. When you're principals, uh, it's us principals and those teachers, those kids and those central office morons. You know, and like we can do this whole thing. And so a lot of a lot of teachers come a lot of teachers thrived. They, they enjoyed the structure when they were in class. When they become a teacher, this is my classroom, these are my rules, these are your consequences that you're gonna get if you don't follow my rule, like that whole thing. Well, that ain't a normal kid. So first of all, we can get move on from that rules-based environment and more into like a classroom core values that we all come up with together as a family. Mm-hmm. Because like you're saying, dude, a kid is going to adopt the value system that's consistently held in that space. Yeah, That's what they do. Like as adults, we're supposed to have our own system and take it with us wherever we go. And I can be influenced once or twice a year to break my values, but pretty much <laughs> I, I keep them consistent. But a kid, just like, I don't know about you, dude, but my behavior sitting in the pews on Sunday morning was very different than on the streets in Camden, New Jersey. Like it was a different set of values, man. But I adopted whatever. Like I went to my friend's house, and I knew, like, at the Calipari's house, that lady would slap me with her big fat Italian hand if I mouthed off. So I, I kept it together. Do you know? Well, I would adjust my value system to my friend's houses, even. Well, kids are the same way. So I don't care who the principal is. What kind of dysfunction is going on in those hallways? Doesn't because when they cross the threshold of my door and join my classroom family, they it's 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 this you can feel it when you walk in and they're going to adopt that value system yeah yeah that's awesome thank you very much hal i got one more question for you it's a three-part question okay so i'm curious to know what are you listening to what are you watching what are you reading hal dude i love all this um all right what am i listening to dude um I have been, um, I, this is embarrassing, but I got, because I come from like a heavy, heavy rock background. When I was back in my musician days, I mean, I played gigs with, I mean, this is going to date me, but you're, if you have any old listeners, I mean, I played gigs with like Great White and Skid Row and, you know, I played all these LA, LA Guns and all these crazy 80s bands, right? And there's something I've been getting in these singer-songwriters lately. That came up with my Pandora accidentally. You know, I mean, yeah, like Chris Stapleton and all that stuff. But then, I mean, so I got this secret. I'm closeted. I'm a closeted country acoustic storytelling guy. And then, but, and then, but that maybe 20% of what the other is podcast, just finding really smart people, dude. And, yeah. and I don't care. And I just want to listen to my passion about their shit. Like, I, you know, and I've been to the Modern Wisdom podcast lately with that Chris Williamson guy. He just has really smart people. And then, um, and then, what's the other question? What am I listening to? What am I? Um, what are you was watching? the other one? What are you watching? What am I watching? I'm trying to break my YouTube addiction. 
Okay, so I'm on a dopamine, <laughs> I'm a dopamine fast right now because I cannot stop myself with, again, like I try to trick myself into saying what's valuable content, but I just need to stop. And so right now it's nothing. I just, on, on, uh, I don't watch entertaining TV at all. Like if I'm watching Netflix, it's a documentary or something, you know? And yes. then, um, and then uh, reading. Listen, I've been so into uh, uh, this boy crisis thing. And so the book I would recommend everybody get right now is um, Of Boys and Men by Richard Reeves from the Brookings Institute, who outlines, I mean, everything, why men aren't working, why, why boys aren't performing well, and just this confusing time that, and the reason I think he does it so well is because, first of all, he's not, he's from England. Anytime you have an accent like that, you sound smarter. And also, like, he has a lot of stuff that's happening in America, but he's not, in, he's not from, like, he's, a, he's not from here. So it's almost as if he's like, I'm impartial. I'm just telling you the data, man. Yeah. You know, he doesn't have an agenda. These are just the facts. And then um, Dopamine Nation by Dr. Lemke from Stanford. She's awesome. And um, I think like those right now are, I think, because that helps, it helps understand, you know, what's going on with screen time and social mm -hmm. media and the difference between what's happening and how it affects boys and girls differently. Yeah. You know, with um, with a lot of girls, I mean, just the depression, anxiety that comes up because of their screen time. And and with boys, it's just a lack of effort, a lack of, of shame, a lack of embarrassment, which you're supposed to feel like that's why you adjust behavior. You know, with boys, you know, a lot of times, you know, when you'll like, I don't care. Dude, you got a 12 is your average. Okay. Well, the, the problem is or they there's misbehavior and they get in trouble and you're supposed to feel guilty and shame and regret because that's what how it modifies your behavior and shifts your trajectory right in terms of behavior but what happens is they don't feel those things because they get right back on their phone and look at scroll through tiktok as as they're 11 and that releases all the dopamine so they never get to the feeling of shame and regret and embarrassment that you should feel in that moment Interesting. so they're yeah, dude. And so there's like those two books are, are really good right now. Nice. Well, thank you for the recommendations. I hope you're enjoying all this stuff yourself. Al, thank you again for taking some time out of your day uh, to chat with me and uh, share your insights with our listeners. How can our listeners find you, my friend? Dude, HalBowman.com. Here's the thing, man. I have not been uh, active on, I'm trying to get back into it. I just get so angry because I know too much about the brand kids now and i shouldn't even say that i mean how it affects moms and dads and then you know i don't know and so i try to i get like when i'm on social media i can feel myself getting addicted to the scroll do you know what i mean and i get uh -huh. mad so it's hard for me to participate i'm trying to figure out how to contribute content in a healthy way without making myself i'm just old dude i'm old and crotchety angry <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah so anyway i'm trying to get back on social media everywhere it's at hal bowman and um and halbowman.com and also yeah dude i'm uh booking for all the back to school i got a couple of dates left in august i think if that like that first week i have a two or three open that first week of august still if anybody wants to uh i know it's coming up right around the corner a couple weeks away if anybody wants to talk about that i'm gonna have openings there. Awesome. 
All right, listeners, uh, get connected with Hal. If you are interested in his professional development, check him out, halbowman.com. Thank you for joining us on this episode. I hope that you take time to share this with a friend, leave a positive review. I would appreciate that. And I can't wait to see you on the next show. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Shut Up and Teach podcast. I hope that you'll check out previous episodes, and I hope that you'll share this with a friend or a colleague.